This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by PayPal. These days, choices are everywhere. Like, for instance, the milk in your coffee. Would you like it from a cow? A nut? A tree? Everyone wants options. And now your customers have a new option in the way they pay. With PayPal in person. Just generate your unique QR code in the PayPal app for them to scan. And start accepting PayPal in person today. Learn more at paypal.com slash US slash get QR code. Hello and welcome to episode 172 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Since our last episode, as with a lot of people, I've been dealing with finding employment, which is quite interesting in this pandemic era. I hope all of you out there are safe and sound and hopefully we'll be out of this soon. Secondly, it's given me time to finish other things. One of those things is the next volume of the Anthology series. Announced a couple weeks ago, Anthology of Emo Volume 2 continues with the last one let off with more stories from the podcast in written form. This go around, we had Jim Atkins from Jimmy Eat World, Chris Conley from Saves the Day, John Bunch from Sensefield, writers Trevor Kelly and Leslie Simon, Jeff Marina from Karate, Tim Casher from Cursed, Bob Nana from Braid, Travis Shettle from Piebald, and Connor Murphy from Foxic. Not a bad list, right? You can pre-order right now at anthologyofemo.com. Even better, I am reprinting the first volume, so if you missed that go around, it is back up and edited again because I missed a bunch of typos that first time. And also, if you're into posters, we have a special double-sided poster, 16 by 20, for pre-orders. Check it all out and more information about the series at anthologyofemo.com. Okay, episode 172. This features Chris Simpson again from Mineral, The Gloria Record, and Mountain Time. Since we last spoke all the way back in episode 15 of this podcast, Mineral hadn't even reunited yet. So we had a lot to catch up on. We talk about Mineral's 25th anniversary and how it was different from Reunion in 2014. And also how they wrote the two new songs for that 25th anniversary book. We also dive into the Gloria Records reissue of A Law in Traffic, which recently came out. And I continue to grow Chris about the unheard Gloria Record album that I want him to finish. We also chat about the amazing new Mountain Time album at length, which is out now on Spartan Records. And at the end, if you stick around, Chris tells an amazing Antioch Arrow story that I was laughing the entire time. If you want to help Washed Up Emo, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash washedupemo. The Patreon supporters there help me every single month keep the lights on on this podcast and the website. Check out the perks at patreon.com slash washedupemo. You will make me very, 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 very happy. This is episode 172 of the Washed Up Email podcast with Chris Simpson from Mineral, The Glory Record, and Mountain Time. Lots 
happened since we've last spoke. There's been a pandemic, but there's been like before. I realized before we the, the first time we chatted on the phone, Mineral hadn't reunited yet. I was thinking about that earlier. Yeah. Um, in fact, I think I said there was no chance. Right. Or or little to no chance that Mineral whatever. Yeah, you were like so. I think I think you said the Gloria record or record would would be around before it. <laughs> yeah, it seemed more likely. I'm glad though that I don't know. You know, um, it's just, it's a good reminder that, you know, I don't know. You just don't, you don't really know. I mean, it's funny because it's probably within a year maybe of that. Do you remember what year that was that we did? It was something like, yeah, it was something like 2012. Yeah. But I, yeah, I feel like within a year of that interview, it all of a sudden seemed like, oh, maybe, maybe, you know. Do you um, remember what it was? Wasn't it like, didn't Jim bug you? Jim Atkins? Jim, Jim Atkins reached out uh, with this uh, idea to do this big show in LA right. for their 20th anniversary. And all the all the homies were going to be on it. I mean, he was inviting all the homies. His sort of dream was to have, even if it ended up being like two night, just have like a big thing. And that sounded interesting enough and in like that it, it got us to a bar. You know, to like the four of us to just sit and talk and discuss, like, would we be open to it? And and I think that's, yeah, that was, so that's kind of all it took, really. And that idea sounded interesting, appealing to us because it, it wasn't our show, you know, like it felt like a low pressure, like way to try it out. By the time we started practicing and kind of got into it, by the time we realized that it wasn't going to happen, that show, we were like, Maybe we should, you know, do something like because it feels pretty good. And then we had Jeff, you know, saying like Jeff kind of all along was like, why would you get your band back together and go to all this work to do like one show of someone else's? You know, like if you're going to if you're going to do it, do it, you know, like so. Yeah, we had influencers around us. (laughs) (laughs) I was bugging you, of course. I was bugging Jeff. I was bugging everybody. (laughs) Mm -hmm. How did it feel? We haven't talked about, I think, the mineral stuff. Like, how did that feel when it did start to happen in those shows and those first few, you know, things back? Did did things flood back? Was it? I mean, I'm sure good and bad. It felt. It all felt really positive, especially like I have such fond memories of like those New York shows at the beginning, and uh, really just that feeling of uh, that exhilaration of like having that much interest in it and you know selling out multiple nights at Bowery Ballroom and getting to like kind of start with that like felt like a really a really special thing and then you know we went to like New Haven Connecticut the next night and kind of got a reality check but uh really was there no one there like no, it was it was sparse it was not it was sparse yeah (laughs) and it was in a it was in a huge church which could have been you know awesome like it's a cool setting but churches feel bad when there's like five rows of people in them you know and a few people scattered like in the back pews you know um (laughs) it's a tough room to like you can't fake that right like you can't make it look full if it isn't and and you also it's not like you don't have the same sort of lighting and ambiance of like a rock club where it's like dark and yeah you can just like hide it a little bit 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was a uh, it was a good time. Like I remember that night. Finally, we stayed in some like Airbnb house that we found uh, in New Haven, and it just had a lot of fun. It was a really fun crew that we had. Like it was a very special, special, uh, special thing. I think that that first run. I just love that New York killing it. Yeah, the after shows, you know, all those things, and then <laughs> New Haven, just like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you know, like that week was great. Like as a whole, you know, we went on and we did like Boston was sold out. Like uh, Philly, uh, we did some great shows that week. Uh, it was just it was fun. It was kind of fun and fitting to have New Haven like after those those new york shows i i just think it's it's always it's always nice in a way to to be kind of taken back down a little you know (laughs) after like something something really wonderful happens it's just so easy to like to feel like i don't i don't know how to describe what i'm saying like it's so easy to feel like oh yeah of course everything is going awesome for us this is so great you know like and then it's just it's fun to to get little reality checks what did it feel like playing those songs again and having the reaction um from young and old and what were some of the from your thoughts just kind of looking out and maybe playing a song and just being like oh wow that kid is that kid wasn't even born or wow that person is older than me did you think about that yeah for sure um that's where I think, yeah, we we got to meet a lot of people that we knew from the original era of the band. People we hadn't seen in maybe as long as the band hadn't been playing. So there was that aspect of the shows that was really fun. But there was also like every night you would meet people who were yeah obviously so much younger than us and who discovered the the music much more recently and we're getting to see it for the first time live and and it was really nice to have that that balance you know the the 25 year thing we did uh we actually met a, a kid in dc at the black cat who afterwards was telling me that he got into us because his his dad turned us turned him on to us and that was definitely the first of that i had heard i was like this is it it's the next generation i feel like you know, again, as you age, it's things are a little tougher. You wake up, your back's a little stiffer, th- those types of things. How did that go as it was, it felt, I mean, it was a world tour. Yeah, it really was. And that the way we did the international tours for the, the 20 year thing was uh, economically, the only way for us to have it make sense was like to string them back to back, you know? Um, so we literally like went to Europe for two weeks had a day off to fly to Japan. We're in Japan for a week, had a day off to fly to Australia and we're in Australia for four days. So we were gone like a solid month of like literally going around the world, you know, like we didn't go back the way we came. We just, after Australia, we went through like LA on the way home, you know? So being in those places for the first time, places we never thought we'd be able to go and play. And, uh, it was, it just kind of all felt magical, you know, like, it, which is not to say that it wasn't tiring and, and hard work, but it, uh, yeah, it really felt like something that we were committed to and doing, you know, and, and 
an experience that we were enjoying and getting to have. Did want to really quickly touch on the, the two new songs, um, Aurora and Your Body is the World. How quickly did those songs come together and when? We started talking about doing the 25-year thing. And I think it took more convincing for us this time around. You know, Jeff was had a lot of ideas and was like, we could do this, we could do that. Like, I think a little slower to like dive in fully that time uh but it started with the idea of you know doing some sort of elaborate box that would have everything in it and we were like envisioning like repressing all the individual seven inches and having the records and we hired misha perlman to write extensive liner notes for this you know, box idea we were working on. And as we started getting into that process, we started pricing it out. And uh, they're like, this is a a luxury item. You know, this is like an item that not very many people are going to be able to afford. Therefore, not very many people are going to buy. And we just, I don't know, we felt like we just remastered and reissued the records. Like we felt redundant for those to be in there again. So then it was like, it just kept getting pared down you know it's like we wanted it to be something accessible that you know something really special and worthwhile to sort of commemorate 25 years and uh so then it was like maybe just we'd repress the seven inches um the idea of the liner notes sort of expanded into more of a book idea and then at some point we just you know like it just the task of you know tracking down everything and and repressing all these seven inches felt like what if we do something simpler you know like we thought like what if we just write a couple of new songs you know and uh put those in with a book you know and i think we were all kind of uncomfortable with the idea of like a book you know like we sell a book you know like to be able to give them something uh so i think the idea of coming up with a couple new songs and having a, a slab of vinyl with a couple new songs in it in the book made made the book feel less scary or something to us been more more tenable so we just started trying to come up with ideas i came in with a, a bunch of ideas and i really you know like as we were starting to practice the songs from the back catalog under our belts again it was not nearly as much work as it had been you know five years earlier when we were relearning them for the first time and 15, 17 years. Um, I remember you asking me if I knew any more YouTube videos for songs. I remember you hit me. You were like, do you have any more for X song or whatever it was? And I was, yep. I was like, and, and that totally makes sense. Like you're, it's, it's, it's almost like after you guys figuring out those older songs, it was like, was mineral sort of inside you a little bit to make Aurora or your body is the world. Definitely. And I think, Learning to play the songs, like I had a couple tunings I used uh, throughout the two records that uh, that I don't really use now. They're not like wildly bizarre tunings, but like so I had like ways that I would sort of voice chords because of these tunings in Mineral um, that is different than how I would in like a standard tuned guitar. Um, so just kind of getting back into those tunings and those chord voicings and finding you know like new ideas using those is kind of where it started so i came in with i came up with a bunch of ideas i wouldn't call them songs because they were just like you know musical ideas with maybe like a couple parts that went back and forth for whatever reason the one that we started working on and kind of spent the most time working on was uh what would become aurora because 
it felt the most like, well, yeah, that sounds like a mineral song, you know, um, the guitar part and the chord voicings or whatever. We ended up spending just so much time on that. And like at some point, you know, we were like, well, we haven't really looked at any of these other ideas, but it's taking so long to like just get one song done. So we, we literally spent six months like working on Aurora, not to say like five days a week, eight hours a day, six months, but like you know, we would get together maybe once a week and work on it. And in between that, we would uh, we started like we had a little garage band demo of the song going around and like we would like change parts and swap parts in and out. And Jeremy even like put like a, a fake drum beat on it <laughs> so we could like sort of have a feel for how the drums might fit in it. We just worked with it for forever. It just never felt done you know it always felt like we're missing some piece somewhere and it had a totally different ending for most of its life and then i think when i came up with the ending part that's when it finally felt like oh well that's a that's a cool ending part like yeah so it, it felt like we have a structure here that works and then we were kind of like we had booked studio time uh so we were like now we, we really need another tune like jeremy had a couple of song ideas that he had brought in and his were pretty fleshed out like kind of fully arranged and we knew we probably didn't have the time to go through what we did with aurora with another one of my ideas the fact that his were kind of arranged and and full ideas uh was appealing and that the one that became your body's world just was the one that felt the most fun to us and the most like it was just kind of there already you know it was like everyone has to put their own touch on their parts and finesse it a little bit as usual for projects i'm involved with well mineral and the glory record i you know it was down to uh i don't have any lyrics or vocals for these songs <laughs> we have these like massive uh behemoth pieces of music that don't really feel like songs until they have vocals you know and and lyrics and that's that was a uh, a struggle for me um and i had a set of lyrics playing around i had like I'm, what I thought would be a mountain time song like that I was working on. Just nothing. I, I just wasn't happy with how it was going. And then one day I just like looked at the words and I'm like, oh, what if I just take those words and move them over here to this mineral song and see if they fit there? Immediately, like the verse, that first verse was just like there. And I was like, oh, well, there you go. That's, that's cool. But I, I will say like I recorded some vocal takes of it just to show the guys this idea i had and the initial response was like yeah it sounds like you know it doesn't sound that very mineral you know it sounds like mountain time i was like well you know it kind of was trying to adapt and and somehow i you know i just kept working with it and kept working with it and kept singing it differently and singing it differently and listening to a lot of mineral and trying to get myself in that headspace and then all of a sudden like the melody just and how i sang it just kind of came together and i was like oh there you go that's more mineral you know the idea wasn't very long lyrically and vocally but the seed of it came from there and then you know it was it was a lot of work to get it finished but when i finally did i was like yes i can do this you know we can make another mineral song uh and i can make lyrics and vocals that feel like they make sense for a mineral song so we were feeling good and the studio was you know quickly approaching and you know the tour was booked and the book was all being put together so it's like that was a uh, it was a hard deadline i kept working on ideas for jeremy's song and we kept working on it musically and we kind of got it musically where we wanted it but i still didn't have ideas and 
so I got to the studio and I was like, well, I've, I've been here before, you know, like, and you always, you always feel confident going in. It's like, I can come up with something in the studio, you know, like, and I really did feel like I would, uh, but I did not, um, which I never have. I don't know why it was surprising. So we left and we were like, okay, well, we don't have, you know, we have two great songs like recorded vocals on one of them, but it just didn't have anything. And I, I, you know, Jeff had a studio set up at his place at the time, and I went over there like every night after we finished at the studio. I was just like banging my head against the wall, like trying to come up with these things. It's like we could do it tonight, but we got to have something by tonight because the guy who recorded it is going to mix it. This is the only day he can mix it because then he starts some other project, and I don't, I don't have it. Like I don't have what I want for it. There was some panic going on. I think I can't remember how it happened. Miraculously, the uh, the the producer Dave like this next week worth of project he had like canceled. So all of a sudden he had an extra week. So it's like, all right, well maybe I have another week to get this written and recorded. And it just finally came, you know, like it's just the worst, worst, worst feeling like working that way where you're like just digging and digging and knowing that the ideas you're putting out are not good or not what you want. Uh, it's such a horrible feeling. And then the elation of like something just happening and like appearing as if out of nowhere that works is so exhilarating. So that happened and your body is the world came together in like one night and I went to my buddy's studio the next night and I had Jeremy come over and, um, cause none of the guys had heard it yet. And I was like, I wanted at least someone to like be there to say, yeah, this is okay. This doesn't suck, you know, this, this will work. And Jeremy came in and really liked it. And, uh, you know, came up with some great ideas for like those counter melody parts where I think his idea, it felt really good. And just in general, like, I know that was a very long description of the process, but in general, it felt just so wonderful to just that feeling of like, we did it. We set this goal for ourselves and challenged ourselves to write a couple of you know, quote unquote, mineral songs for the new age. And we felt like we we did what we wanted to do, you know? You know, I noticed a lot of differences just in the five years between the in initial reunion and this 25-year thing we did. Like, And one of them is that my children are older now and more aware of what's going on musically and what i'm up to um this time it was really fun because they like i was listening to a lot of mineral in the car like on the way to taking people to school and they got really into it and they you know they have like favorite songs and they like we'd get in the car and they'd be like hey dad play february so casper february is his jam that's that's the <laughs> one for him <laughs> good pick casper mm-hmm yeah <laughs> deep cut but it's 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 fun it's cute to uh yeah to realize like oh this is so fun like they didn't get to have this experience with it on the initial reunion tour because they were just young enough that they kind of had no idea what was going on other than that 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 one guy wasn't around for a while yeah hey uh the, the other person that does mm -hmm. stuff for me where is he yeah. where's that guy where's that? <laughs> do you feel like minerals in a bow do you see it on un unwrapping itself later in life uh i don't necessarily like it feels i'm i would i wouldn't say never like um like you did on my last one like i like i did last time yeah i don't think i'll do that anymore but <laughs> and there's just no there's no reason to say never there's no reason right. to like feel like we have to define it 
certainly one-off sort of festival appearances are very much very much like in our wheelhouse at this point i think there were a full a full new record at some point then it might make sense to do like a full tour but like without that it's like yeah just one-off things and you start to see you know even if you wait like five years in between you see there's a little bit of diminishing returns you know like the excitement was mm-hmm. uh was certainly more palpable uh on the 20 year than than this and, and a lot of the uh you know shows were a little down numbers wise than from what they were before five years before um and that's totally natural like that's to be expected and i think that's a lot of what why it took us a little more to be convinced that we should get back out there again you know um but that would just continue to happen you know like the more we did it um because it's not uh, this special thing that hasn't ever happened before, you know, anymore. I mean, in some ways, like, it felt better. Like, the certain markets, I think, we moved up in those five years. Like, that, we started the European tour last year in London with a sold-out show. It was ex- still expanding, you know. Um, but the states are tough, you know. Like, if you especially anything outside of major markets. And and the way we did it on the 25-year one, we thought, like, we're going to make this a lot easier on ourselves and our lives and our wives and our jobs. And we're just going to do, you know, like, book four days a week when we're touring, like, in major markets and then have, like, three days off a week where we fly home and the crew just drives the van to the next set of dates, you know? And we thought this was a brilliant idea, um, uh, as as many ideas seem at the time. But it it ended up just being like costly and not very efficient, and uh, and probably our families. I know my family would probably say like probably just like put the shows all back to back, be gone for them, and then be back. You know, like this coming and going like every week is is not conducive to like family routine so um so it was it was definitely a lot more stressful in that regard was it what's the uk label um uh big scary monsters yeah are those guys are putting are yeah. reissuing stuff right they're reissuing a lull in traffic going through the process of of getting all the all the resources together for them to do that um which you know has not been easy people didn't save a lot of things does anyone have the art files? Like, no, nobody has the art files. Does anybody have masters? No, nobody has masters. Does anybody have, you know, like, it's just, it's it's amazing. It's like, how did we not do these things, you know? Like, but we didn't, you know? So uh, the one exciting thing about that project is that the guy at the label, Kevin, was like, I would really love if you have any, like, demos or uh live recordings or anything that could function as bonus material from that era those songs like so i went i went digging and i had just gotten this we used to have this half inch eight track Tascam tape machine in our practice space and we recorded our demos on it it had been long been in disrepair and like several years ago i got it fixed up like it needed a new motor and all these things so it was like it's back so I thought it would be really fun to go through our old reels because I know we made like demos for all those songs before we went to Nebraska to record with Mike Mogus. 
I remember actually really liking the demos and, you know, maybe that demo-itis thing where like you've listened to and worked on one version so long that when you go record it in a real studio, you're like, oh, it's good, but I kind of like this version, you know. I remembered having that feeling about some of the demo versions of those songs. Um, so I was excited to dive in, um, but that led to like a several month long affair where I learned a lot of things about analog tape machines and analog tape that has sat around for a while. So it gets this this thing called uh, basically the glue, because there's some glue in, in the material that makes the magnetic tape. The glue like separates from the tape. Did and, you have to bake them? Yep. Had to bake them. Uh, so I had to find, you know, people who could do this and uh, get the tapes baked. And of course, I didn't, you know, we didn't like label anything very well. So I had to bake like a bunch of reels of tape, even though I didn't know where the stuff I was looking for was. And then sit there like going through all these things. And then like something else on the tape machine broke while I was trying to explore these tapes. And I had to order those parts and wait for them. And then finally, after all that, and I was just absolutely positive like i wasn't going to find anything just specifically because of how hard it was to even find out if there was anything usable i kept finding like parts of those demos and i'd be like oh this is the demo yeah and i'd be so excited and then something else would come in and like we had recorded over it you know so i only <laughs> had like a little snippet of it uh but then i i finally found one full song of demo for uh the song the arctic cat so it felt like a triumph, and I got that transferred and mixed, and so that will be a bonus track on that, our, our practice space demo of that song. Awesome. It's cool. It sounds, like, super beefy and, like, slower, I think, than the studio version, but it, it's really nice. I mean, it's it's otherwise, like, all there. I think there might be, like, one slightly different line of lyric towards the very end or something, but it's basically fully formed, you know? That's rad. So, I mean, so that that was it. From all the tapes, there was just one yep. song. Oh, my one, God. One song. Yeah. I was happy to have that, you know, so mm-hmm. something to show for all, for all my troubles. But, uh, yeah, it would have been so cool, I think, to be able to, like, have, like, demos for all of the tracks. Just because it is an EP and it's only, like, five songs. I mean, it would only have been four because uh, that last track of I was from our practice room demo from our tape machine but we transferred it back then and then we added a few things in the studio to it to enhance it a little bit but so i I knew i was only looking for like the first four songs but um it would have been so cool to have all of them to be able to just show like the finished version and like the demo versions on the other side are there plans to play any of this stuff out obviously post chaos yeah there really aren't jeff has asked about it a number of times and it's tough like that band is really spread out there's some some very busy people with some very new children and young children and uh, there's no plan specifically like there's it seems like uh, a, a difficult prospect where's this unknown record where's the one without your vocals uh it's uh i have it in a few random formats okay. um so that's good. All right. Well, <laughs> my yearly reminder, just listeners, everybody, whenever I see Chris, it doesn't matter if it's South by or whatever. I just remind him about this record and uh, just friendly reminder to, to finish it. <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I do feel like that would be so fun. Um, 
my thing with the glory record is always you know it 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 started to come off the rails while we were working on that second the unreleased record and i think a lot of it was i'm sure i've explained this to you but like i was not feeling particularly inspired or creative and didn't really know what i wanted to do or what i wanted it to be really um so i i was i was not really there as as a vision keeper or holder or torchbearer of any sort i was there the whole time and and beating my head against walls um as i've described in other creative processes um and it just nothing felt good you know and meanwhile i think jeremy brian and ben bass drums and keys like those guys were on fire and they were like this is a cool idea this is a cool idea how about this and so we have this record of like really fully arranged elaborate like kind of orchestrated in a lot of ways ideas that are largely drums bass and multiple multiple layers of like keyboards and synthesizers and it sounds really cool but it doesn't i have i think i have more of an idea now like no i don't and that might not be true um yeah i just i didn't know what it was like i didn't know how to put myself into it it was that foreign you were so separated from the band like just mentally that this didn't connect with you and even when you listen back now do you still feel that i will i kind of yeah i will say that i love some of the um, the ideas are so beautiful like there's some just really stunning stuff in there i i long to be able to (laughs) put myself into it and uh you know find a way to steer it to songdom you know like give it some some lyrics and vocals and melodies um but it's a challenge, you know, it's um, and that was the challenge at the time and th- that I felt like I just don't know if I can do this anymore. Like this way of working where like I had wanted the Gloria record to be something other than that. In the process of making that second record, I felt like I'm right back where I was in Mineral, where it's like I'm in this project where like we create these elaborate like pieces of music that are just so like not straightforward and then i have to like somehow pull a rabbit out of a hat and like turn them into songs in the end just by like putting lyrics and vocals on them like it felt like just this immense crazy pressure and yeah i just couldn't find anything and and i think i was starting to feel like i want to do something really simple you know like i want to do something much simpler i want to be able to like like i grew up writing songs on my acoustic guitar and just like filling notebooks with these songs and and I could just sit there and play them all for you, you know, like, and I, I just really wanted to, I wanted to be able to do that and then have an awesome band like the Gloria record, you know, who could just, that was what I dreamed of with the Gloria record. Like, I wish I could just write some songs and bring them in. And these guys could put all these awesome ideas and energies like around, you know? So I think it was a crisis of, uh, of identity for, for me and for, for the band a crisis of vision you know like the way it ended was you know uh brian the drummer was like well i'm i don't want to sit around in austin like i don't want to live in austin i moved here to be in this band and if this band isn't making another record and continuing to tour like i don't want to live here you know um so he moved to new york i proposed like why don't we i needed like to just put some sort of stop or break on it and i was like why don't we just take a year off like just put this record we've been working on aside 
just everyone do whatever you want for a year and we come back together in a year and see where we're at. Nobody was into this idea. They were like, it's kind of now or never, you know, like, and if it's not this record, you know, like, and I, I feel it like everyone else had put, I will say Brian, the guitar player was struggling similarly to me to find his way with it and to insert himself into it. But I think a lot of that was down to me not being able to do that because I think he, he worked off of me a lot more than he did the other people, you know? Like, I, I feel like they were like, we worked really hard on this stuff and it's really interesting, cool, creative, awesome stuff. And like, why, if we can't do it, you know, like, then what's the purpose? Do you think that the, I mean, I thought like in my head, like, what if it's just released as it is? Mm-hmm. You know, Greg Glover, the arena rock guy who uh, paid for it to be recorded, <laughs> has brought this up. A number of times he's like maybe it's just what it is incidental music you know like i know i don't have to like sing over in, in these entire pieces of music a lot of it should and would be let to sort of breathe and and be instrumental you know the mountain time record is all songs that i wrote initially just by myself on a guitar or a piano and that i could sit down and play for you you know like and once i have that i feel like it's easy to like experiment with adding any number of different things and with, you know, like adding interludes. And uh, what's hard is when you have like a prearranged thing that you have to fit your vocals and lyrics and ideas to. It's not something you can interact with and like shape into what you want it to be. But something you, it's like the structure is there. You just have to fit to it, you know? Whereas like all the all the songs on on the Mountain Time record and the way I've I've been working with that project is, I can change you know if, if I'm not feeling something I can change it you know it's not like these other musicians have put like all this time and energy into the way things are it's different in that sense I don't think I could strictly apply like what the process with Mountain Time to yeah, hopefully being able to find a way to finish the the glory record stuff like the answer would be and and like what happened with the mineral song is just like it just requires a lot of beating one's head against the wall and like digging and digging and digging and like not being happy with what you're finding and then it's something just happens at some point and you know but it's a it's a matter of i think time and tenacity you know mountain time so I was saying earlier, like, I love the folksy feel. I love all the keys. I love all the horns. On a day-to-day when you were, like you said, starting these songs on acoustic, what were you hearing in your head? Well, so going in, you know, I had two sort of concepts going in to making this record. One was that, like, after making Pink Chalk, the last record I made in this sort of autonomous way, like where I essentially played most of the instruments myself uh, or Doug, the producer collaborator played them. Like we, we just kind of did it all ourselves. Like, and like, are we great drummers? No. Are we great, you know, bass players? Not necessarily. So like, um, so that it had that feel. And that's something that I actually wanted to do at the time. After doing that, I knew going into making this record, like I want, really good players like i want professionals you know to like be playing all the parts like i don't want to be trying to play bass on the record or the other thing i knew was that 
I had, and we, we've had some of it on some of the Zookeeper records, um, but I really knew I wanted to use what I, I referred to uh, with Doug going in uh, as the Leonard Cohen palette. Like, I really wanted background singers. I wanted some ladies singing in the background. I wanted horns. I wanted strings. And I wanted to make conscious choices to, like, use those kind of elements and those colors to fill out the songs before going to, like, electric guitars or synthesizers or, like, I mean, there's there's things that I've used a lot that it's easy to use, you know? It's like, I know how to, like, fill out songs with these things, but, like, I, re- I really wanted to fill out the songs with these other colors. Um, and I sort of specifically had this idea in my head, and, and going in, I think I thought it was going to be... I thought we were going to be making a much more sort of sparse folk record um, with those kind of elements, you know, like maybe something a lot closer to like a Leonard Cohen kind of record where it's like, maybe there aren't even a lot of drums or electric sounding instruments. Like as we started working on the stuff, especially when you spend as much time as I do making records, like they, they take on lives of their own and they, they go through phases and the gestation process is, is it takes a long time and it, uh, it changes as it as it grows you know and you you start to once you get in there and start trying things you you sometimes realize like what you don't want to do it's like oh well there's that like i don't want to do that like let's try something else you know um and it's been really fun for me at this point in my life or career or whatever you would call it like to just know like there's no timetable there's no pressure like there's no I don't have to make a record, you know, like I want to make a record and I want to, but I want it to be what I want it to be. I don't want to make a record just to make a record. Yeah. There's a lot of just committing to the work it takes to like explore a vision, you know, and that's kind of what every record ends up feeling like to me is like its own kind of, I have a vision for it going in and like this idea in my head of what I want it to be having that vision is very important but allow that vision to expand or contract or grow or shift or evolve is very important too you know and at some point you this i feel like the songs sort of tell you what what they need and so you know with this record we we started out working on an eight track tape machine like a big one like a a one inch one thinking we're just gonna use this and not use computers at all uh and we we did that largely with pink chalk too um and then ended up using computers at the very end before mixing but with this we started running into trouble and feeling a lot more limited sooner but you know we spent five years working on this record so i'd say the first couple years we were still trying to make everything work on this idea of like using this tape machine and only having eight tracks. And so a lot of the strings and horns that you hear on the record were done on one track each, even though it's multiple players. We thought we were working in this limited format where it's like, well, we can only, you know, we can't give you two tracks for two violins. Like we can, you guys can play into one microphone together. And we can use one track for it, you know? Uh, so a lot of the strings and horns were done that way. And I think it gives them this really beautiful, like, there's like a depth to them, you know, that like, like you can, like the room matters, you know? And so then it was just like settling everything else around them and like 
figuring out what else needed to be there and what didn't need to be there, you know? It was almost like a blessing that it was on one track. Mm-hmm, you totally, you, yeah. You couldn't fuck with it. Here it is, Chris. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, to me, the beauty of working that way. And, like, when when people talk about limitations, like, uh, enhancing creativity, I think, yeah, like, you get in there and you're like, if there's two string players playing into, like, one microphone, you have to get that balance between the two strings right in the moment, in the room. And so, so much that the stuff you, you, you can overthink later in the process is, like, already taken care of it's like oh we can't really balance between the strings anymore i love that aspect of it you know it it makes you like commit to your decisions as you as you make them right whereas like when everything's done in the computer and in the sort of modern way things are recorded like you never have to commit to anything like until the mix and then you can always go back and like uh you know like there's uh, we printed stems so like you don't like this one thing in the mix we can go tweak that or take that out or John from the label and Jeff were like asking if we had done stems, you know, like it was just when you're mixing now in a computer, like when you bounce down the final mix, you actually bounce down like every track individually so that you could go back and just conceivably like take any one thing out of the mix, you know, they were asking me about that. And I'm like, I don't think we did that, but let me ask, you know, and um, that's my buddy dog. And he's like, yeah, no. Uh, I didn't think about that. Like, I've been saying this record's almost done for, like, three years. Um, And it really has felt that way because I feel like 80% of what you hear when you hear the finished record now has been in place and, like, there and sort of set. The finishing layers that, like, you know, we just tried a lot of things. It's like, does this song need a guitar? Like, let's try one, you know? And we put it there and, like, make a mix of it and listen to it for a while. Like, no, it doesn't really need that uh, does it need, you know, like, so yeah, that was a lot of what the the time, where the time was spent. And also, you know, it's just like, we're not at the studio, like five days a week, you know, I'm recording it. I recorded with my friend, Doug, this producer and collaborator of mine, who's, who's been just like such a, well, you met him, you came to his old place. Oh, when right. We were doing pink, pink chalk. Yeah. Um, so that place was his original studio where we did Pink Chalk, and we started this record there. But a couple years into it, he and his wife uh, bought a house and moved into that, and he sort of moved everything into the house. And it's it's even cooler now because <clears throat> before it was like the basement of their beneath their garage apartment, and now they have this house, and the the studio is just sort of like kind of seamlessly like worked into their house. So it's not like, oh, here's the studio in this room, and then there's the house. It's like you walk in the front door, and in this like living room to the left, he's got his like little desk with his board, and um, <clears throat> that's where he sits. But then, like, if you walk past the kitchen and into the back, the big back family room area, there's like a grand piano and another piano, and so there's just like things all around the house, but it doesn't feel like a studio, you know? It's it's such a special place to me like I've, I've really and and he's a, such a special relationship for me working with him like i really feel like it's the first time i've i found someone who i feel like gets gets me and gets something out of me that is like he he he's just really good at helping me get like what i what i want and he's such a 
almost to a fault like he's such a proponent of like first takes like i'll sing a song you know be like all right it's time to do vocals for the song and i'll sing it and i'll be like i'm just you know i'm just warming up you know i'm like getting to it and like we finish and he's like that was awesome you know he's like you've got to come in here and listen to that you know and he'll like be selling me on this first take and he was like, there's just something special about that one. You know, like, I don't know if you're going to be able to do that again. And I'm just like, I'm just getting warmed up in there, you know. Um, but I love that about him. Like, he's always championing, like, the initial, like, creative idea, you know. Or, like, the, the, the first. He's championing, like, whatever is most pure and sort of authentic. I don't hang out there when he mixes the songs. I don't want to hang out there when he mixes the songs. Like, I don't want to be, like leaning over his shoulder going like turn that vocal up or like you know like what if this sounded like that you know and every other time i've been in a process like i've wanted to do that and like felt like i had to do that you know um in order to like protect my vision for how things should sound uh and so it's so exhilarating and relieving to like have someone that i, I trust in this way where i'm like I love these mixes that he sends me, you know, and sometimes like he sends them to me and I'm like, Oh, I don't know if that's it, you know, like, is that it? And then I'll like, just listen to it a couple of days. I'll be like, Oh, that's it. You know, like, but yeah, it's, it's a wonderful thing. Like trust. Yeah. And I feel like we've, we've built this relationship and he has gotten just so, so good at making just really high fidelity recordings in this, is this in his house, you know, like, it's beautiful yeah well here's a really interesting thing about this record um so you know after the glory record i started doing music more in this sort of solo autonomous sense um and and had and had zookeeper so probably 2003 2004 like the first couple years after the glory record ended i just like it's like some sort of dam broke or something and i wrote like 50 or 60 songs in like a year yeah i just had this huge body of songs that i was like i love these songs it was when i first started like getting back into like i just want to write simple songs like on the acoustic or the piano seven of the eight of these songs are from that period the mineral reunion tour which is when we the initial one, which is when we first started this, like spring of 2015. Um, I I didn't have like new songs, but I wanted to start making a new record. Uh, like I had an idea of like what kind of record I wanted to make. Uh, and I also looked back at this body of songs and thought, I'll have to pick like my, the 10 songs from that body of songs that, that I haven't, properly finished and released yet that are my favorite like the 10 greatest hits for me from that group of songs and and finish them um and a lot of these songs i had been worked on on various zookeeper sessions and just never like felt right or never got finished properly it's really been the gift that keeps on giving and you know no good song is like tied to a specific time like ultimately like songs can they just like once they exist they exist and they can you know like travel through time and be discovered in the future and like i don't know it's like 
I, some people I think it is so bizarre that I just put out a new record like full of songs I wrote largely 10 to 12 years ago. Like, I think for some people I know, like people I know, creative people, they're like, well, ah, you know, like, how, how is that? How are you even like tuned in at all to like what you did that long ago? But, but for me, it's like, I, I don't, it's just songs, you know? And like, once the song, once I write a song, it's like, yeah, it doesn't, 12 years hasn't changed the song. It's changed me, you know, but like the song is still there and like, I can go back to it and be like, Oh, and maybe in some ways, like I can perform it better now, or I can like, maybe I understand it better, you know, cause sometimes I feel like I'm ahead of myself when, when I write songs as a way to sort of process being alive. Like sometimes you write songs and you don't know what they mean, you know, like what, with the way we process life in general, it's like, so things happen and you take them in and you you try to understand them and you try to um, learn what you can from them. But sometimes it's, uh, you know, there's uh, some lag time in there. And I love that you can have those connections to those songs because a lot of people just kind of move forward and what's next and what's my next song and whatever I did. But to be able to take something from because that's your history. That's that whatever that moment was 12 years ago or nine years ago, whenever it was that that plays into your life today definitely and you know we've been i've been sort of putting together the artwork and finally got that all done um but just like sitting and looking at it all together you know and like looking at the like i i'm printing the lyrics on one side of the uh the inner sleeve which i've never done before um and like reading through the lyrics like when i finished this this artwork like it's it's kind of stunning to me like how how much of my life is in these songs like and how much of my life now my life now is in these songs like uh it's sometimes like you know things that have happened since i've written these songs are like in these songs you know what i mean like uh so maybe you know writing songs is a way of uh foretelling the future too in a way like you're kind of writing your own story like uh writing your own future don't you think sometimes when you're being expressive and you don't realize it but you're actually saying the truth or you're saying what will happen when you don't even realize it does that make sense yeah definitely all the answers for like everything in all the questions in 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 the universe are inside of us you know like they're it's just a matter of uh like nobody can give you something that like i don't know i don't know how to say this but uh like you know uh we know and and sort of we have this innate sort of knowledge and wisdom within us that has only to be discovered you know um it's not something that someone can give us from outside of us, you know? Uh, it's not something that comes from an external source. So I think there's a lot of... And I think that's what this record is about for me. Um, and the title, Music for Looking Animals, it's about, like, really looking, like, deep inside yourself and looking more deeply at the world around you as well. It's, like, internal as well as external. But, like just really seeing what is, you know? 
Uh, I have a hilarious I have a hilarious Antioch Arrow story quickly. Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, of course. Uh, so in the early mineral days we were in Austin and uh we went to see them play because like we had I guess we had toured with Christy Front Drive and like we're sort of getting introduced to the scene or whatever. Um and so we heard about them through somehow through that, like, yeah, they're playing at Antones in town. So we went and checked it out and I was just so like alarmed at like how chaotic and abrasive and like it was just, it was it blew my mind and I was like I don't I don't even know what this is and I remember like <laughs> hanging out afterwards and talking to those guys and um I I was kind of an idiot as a, as a young child but I I just didn't really have a sense of myself, you know, like I do, I would often end up sticking my foot in my mouth, you know? Um, but I asked the guitar player or someone in the band that I was talking to, I was like, so y'all's music, like your, your songs, like, <laughs> is it something you write ahead of time? And it's like set in stone and it's the same every night. Cause to me, it just felt so wild and like, just are you guys like, jamming? <laughs> what well, are you just like screaming and like strumming and making noise and like expressing this like anger? Like I, cause I couldn't find like any like structure in it or like, I don't, it, and if I felt bad because it, it was apparently like maybe an offensive thing to ask. I don't know. Like he was just like, uh, yeah, you know, like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then they're like, dude, dude, mineral sucks. Austin sucked. Sucks, dude. Those guys suck. Yeah. But it was a legitimate question from, from a young me, you know? A young I buck. Like, I was, yeah, I was like, I was, my mind was rearranged by that stuff. I was like, what, what is this? Oh, that's uh, so funny. Is written? Is this like, <clears throat> is something written here? Like, Did you guys write songs was, tonight? Because. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and now you know like now i could go listen to that stuff i'm sure and like recognize the whatever form or structure is there you know but at the time I was, it was just so outside of my like anything i would like heard or like thought about musically like it was i'm definitely gonna ask um any Akero if they remember that <laughs> <laughs> i'm a soul in machine 